Well, as we continue this morning, uh, we've said this kind of along as we've been going along over the last few weeks, that one of the, in some ways, all of us are very, very different. But in one way, in one way, we all share something very much in common. And that is that family is complicated. And to one extent or another, all of us eventually experience wounds in our family, even if we had a great family. That eventually, our parents let us down. They potentially create wounds that we carry through our life. Our children, as they grow, it's only a matter of time before there's something they say or something that they do that affects the heart of a parent very deeply. As parents, because we're flawed, we eventually, we eventually do or say something that causes our children pain that they will carry through their life. Uh, you know, in, in, in our family, uh, we're just pretty open with our boys that are all adults now, and there's been many times uh, where we, we are talking to people or I'll be talking to other people and go, listen, I, I gave my children so much to talk with their therapists about, you know, stuff that they just had to, because I was a flawed and a broken dad. And siblings, extended family, over time there are things that are said or done, there's clashes of personalities and temperaments, and passing of, on of generational hurt or generational dysfunction, and emotional walls are built over time, but it doesn't just impact the people that are directly involved, but it also affects every other relationship around us, and many times how we function in the marketplace or in the workplace without us even realizing. And today, I want to talk to you about what we learned from the Apostle Paul about beginning or continuing the process of reconciliation with family members and why it is so important for your sake. Because I know this, that when I say the word father... When I say the word mother, there isn't just biological or scientific thoughts or knowledge that comes to mind, right? There are emotions. One of our sons, he was the chief comedian of our family, and I remember when he was a teenager being at a sporting event together, and one of his new friends came up, he greeted my son, then he looked at me, he said, so is this your dad? And my, my son just looked me up and down and without missing a beat said, I guess so, that's what my mom keeps telling me, so... But these terms, father, mother, they, neither of these terms are emotionally neutral, right? When I say these words, there's feelings attached. If I say brother, if I say sister, these are not emotionally neutral terms. And in the areas of where family is complicated, one of the most detrimental, harmful lies you could ever try to believe about, believe, about anybody that you're related to is, I don't care. I just don't care. Yeah, there's so much pain but, in the past, but I just don't care. Yeah, my dad divorced my mom and left when I was young. I, I just don't care. Or my mom, she was controlling or critical or negative. She just couldn't get along with my dad or get along with me. But I don't care. Yeah, I have a brother. He was a black sheep of the family, kind of. And he did this or did that. And honestly, I, I just don't care. Or my daughter. My daughter, we did everything we needed to do. We raised her. I, I just gave up a long time ago. I just don't care. But the problem is, especially with immediate family, as much as you try not to, or you try to stuff it way down. You are hardwired, and you are created to care as much as you wish that that wasn't true. And if you've gotten to the point where you tell yourself, or you pretend, or you tell other people, you know what, I just don't care, I've just moved on, the problem is, especially when it comes to our parents, there's like this invisible bungee cord that is connected to our belt loops. And you cannot care through your 20s and through your 30s and not care until you're about 45 years old. And then suddenly it's like, wham! Suddenly you're just yanked back into these emotions of childhood that like, you didn't even recognize they were there. And, you're, and you may not even be living with your mom or dad anymore. You're, in fact, your mom and dad may not be alive anymore. But there's like this hidden junk 
And some of you, you've experienced this. Like one, there's something that happens and you go to react or respond to someone and you open your mouth and your mother falls out. Or you say something or maybe you yell something and bam, it's like, oh my gosh, that sounded just like my dad. And many of us, there can develop this low-grade anger, even a perfectionist, you know, tendencies, and maybe they'll go crazy. You may become more controlling. Maybe you begin drinking more. You're just feeling this low-grade or even high-grade frustration all the time, and you know there's something wrong. So you begin to look at your immediate context, and you say, well, it must be my wife, or it must be my husband, or it's those dang kids, or I've got somebody, I've got these people around me, and you begin looking at, at, at these people around you, and they're looking at you like, what happened? Like, like, what's going on? The problem is you thought you didn't care, but as much as you tried to push it down and deny it, and it had inevitably bubbled to the surface. And now it's pouring out on the people that are closest to you. This is especially true with our parents. And moms, I hate to give you the short end of the stick, but it's typically even more true about our fathers than it is with our moms. Like nearly all of us, if not all of us, have experienced this, that there's just something in us that just wants our dad to love us. We want our father's approval. Nearly every little girl wants to be her daddy's princess. Every little boy wants his dad to say those things that every son wants to hear. And it is true, a lot of us want that from an older brother or an older sister. Every dad wants to be a hero to his son or his daughter. Every mom wants to hear her daughter say, Mom, someday when I grow up, I want to be just like you. But there's just something seemingly a little more important about a father's approval. Yet there are lots of people, maybe you, who've just tried to decide, no, I don't care what he thinks. I don't care what my mom thinks. It's in the past. There's no point in dwelling on it. But the problem you face is it's a lie. And it's dangerous. For those of you who had a dad in your life as you were growing up, there were things said or done to you by your dad, good or bad, that you remember like it was yesterday. And you remember how you felt in that moment, right? There were things said to you by your mother, either good or bad. And you remember to this day. And you know, most of us understand that there have been words spoken to us. Most of us can see how certain words marked us for the rest of our lives. Some of those words breathe life into our future and our careers and our relationships. And for others, we walk through life with a limp or an open wound because of words that were spoken to us and because of who said them. And why is it that never goes away? Because you and I are hardwired. We are created to care as much as we try not to. So what do we do with that? I mean, I, I, I mean some of us, again, we're just walking through life with this damage. Maybe it's a little Maybe it's a lot from the past or we're dealing with difficult family relationships right now in our lives. And some of us, if we're honest, we were the damage causers. We were the ones who inflicted pain, who inflicted wounds. And, but now we feel stuck. We don't know what to do about it. So today we're going to talk about the eventual need or, or the, the continuing or the beginning of the process of forgiveness and reconciliation with family members, especially if you feel like or you are the victim. For you, it may be with a parent. It could be a spouse, an adult child, a brother, a sister, an in-law, maybe an ex-in-law. And I want to talk to specifically to those of you who are Christians who would say, I'm a follower of Jesus. I have placed my trust in faith in Jesus Christ to the best of my ability. I want to live according to Jesus. And the reason I want to direct this message to you specifically is because there's a reason that is so compelling that goes way beyond any benefit this process might have for us. Although there is a benefit 
And it goes way beyond, way beyond whether or not we actually achieve reconciliation. As we're about to see, we don't really have any choice in the matter but to keep the door open to reconciliation and refuse to let ourselves just go, I just don't care. Because if we don't, we just end up in denial and we risk even more damage to our hearts, our minds, our spiritual and mental health, and ultimately to the most important relationships in our lives. Now, if you're not a Christian or you don't know, you're just coming back to trying to figure the whole thing out, like I'm glad, I'm glad that you're listening, but I don't know how helpful this is going to be. Even though I would encourage you, I would encourage you, even if you're not a Christ follower, to reconcile. But the reason we're going to talk about, you may not find very compelling, but it's at least something to think about. Because at the end of the day, I believe for all of us, Christian or not, that this is a battle worth fighting. Listen, even if there is no actual reconciliation, even if they never come around, if they never admit that they were wrong, if they never see it your way, uh, you're never best friends again. I, I, I mean, perhaps it is a relationship you shouldn't move back into the way that it was. Perhaps it was a relationship that was abusive. So you have boundaries set up, and you should, and you were trying to stay within those. But in terms of reconciliation, the openness to reconciliation, the way that we're going to talk about it this morning, even if you don't win, it's a battle worth fighting because it is so good for you. And I know this because I've lived this. But for those of you who would say, Jesus is my Savior, He's not really given us any room when it comes to not making efforts to reconcile as we're going to talk about it today and to say it just doesn't matter, they don't matter anymore. So here's how the Apostle Paul, in a letter to a young church in Corinth, here's how he introduces this. He says, for Christ's love, for Christ's love compels us, not our love for Jesus, but his incredible love for us compels us. A different translation says the love of Christ controls us. Another says it constrains us. It can be literally, uh, literally, literally translated as it, it hems us in. That basically that the love of Christ limits our options. It leaves us no options. It narrows our focus to do the only thing that is left open for us to do. Christ's love for you compels you, compels us to reconcile. The Apostle Paul goes on. His language is a little bit challenging here, so I'm, I'll try to lead you through this because it's so important. He says, for Christ's love compels us. Why? Because we, if we're a Jesus follower, are convinced that one, Jesus died for all, and therefore all died. To which we go, okay, the, the first half I get, but therefore all died. What does that even mean? It's almost like Paul is writing this or he's dictating this. There's no whiteout. There's no backspace. And it's like he thought, okay, maybe that wasn't very clear. Let me say this a different way. So he repeats the same idea. And he died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So here's what he's saying. Because Christ gave his life for us, we are to give our lives for him. That because Jesus said no to what was in his best interest, for our best interest, we're to say no to ourselves for his best interest. To die to yourself is basically to decide when I have a decision to make. I know what God wants and I know what I want. And when that sense of want diverges, I'm going to say no to me and yes to God. Because why? Because Christ suffered and he died for us, as we're going to see, to reconcile us to God. So just out of sheer gratitude, Paul says, we're to go, yes, Jesus. 
And if what you want me to do rubs up against what I want, I will choose to not live for myself, but for you. I'm dying for myself. He continues, all this is from God. So this was God's idea. Who hears our word, reconciled us to himself through Christ. And then he gave to us this assignment. He gave us this ministry of reconciliation. Now we often use the word reconcile in terms of finances. But the word really means to make compatible. To take two things that are not compatible and to do something so they become compatible. It's like a locksmith who takes a blank key and he works on this blank key until it perfectly fits into and opens a lock. He reconciles that blank key so that it opens a lock. So Paul is saying that this whole thing, Jesus coming and dying on a cross for our sin, God initiated this for the purpose of reconciling us to himself. How did he do that? By creating a key to open the door to him for us which was Jesus Christ. So to summarize, I want to just give you two statements, and then I'm going to talk about us. The, the first thing is he's saying is that through Christ, God removed every obstacle to reconciling with us except us. In other words, he, he set the table, he opened the door, he sent the invitation, and the only reason a person would not reconcile with God is because the person chooses not to. That God who was perfect, God who was incompatible with us, and not because of him, but because of our sin, that everything necessary to pave the way to be reconciled to him, he's done everything he can, and he just waits on us to just say yes to the invitation. Another way to say this is the only obstacle to you being reconciled to God is you. Now here's what he's leading up to. That just as God, who was the innocent party and we were guilty, we were the guilty party. And just as the innocent party, innocent party has every right in the world to say, I'm done with you. I don't want anything to do with you. You hurt me. You stole from me. You wronged me. You embarrassed me. You're wrong. I'm right. God said, in spite of that, I am going to initiate. I am initiating the forgiveness and reconciliation process, even though I have no reason to. I'm going to pave the way for reconciliation. And when you became a, a, a Christian, for those of you that have, you reconciled with God. You came with your bad habits, and he reconciled with you anyway. You came with your past, and he reconciled with you anyway. You had sin in your life. You didn't even know maybe it was sin in your life until like five, seven years later, after you had reconciled with God. Maybe you're listening to a message, or you read a book, or you read a scripture passage, and you'd read it a hundred times, and then one day it just clicks like it never has before. You're like, oh my gosh, I need, I need to work on this. I mean, God wants something different for me. And, but this was years after you had been reconciled to God, where you were in the wrong and continued to be in the wrong, and yet God set the table. He opened the door, the door and made the invitation, and you eventually said yes, and you came just as you were, imperfect, flawed, and he reconciled you anyway. And Paul says, and this is where the rubber meets the road when it comes to us, and especially with, in relationship to others and family. God gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that if you're a Christian, that your life and my life, your message, your words, your behavior is to be a message of you can be reconciled to God. Like, did you know no matter what you've done, you can be reconciled to God. No matter the junk that is still in your life, you can be reconciled to God. Stuff you don't even know about, no matter what your addiction is, no matter what your problem is or what you're dealing with, you can be reconciled to God. Do you know you don't have to clean up 
your act before you can be reconciled to God. You can just come as you are before you do anything. Just accept the invitation. You can be reconciled to God, and then God begins this process of beginning to clean up all the junk in your life, through your life. That's the message of Christianity. And we've been given that message to live out and to share it with people whenever they are interested. And he elaborates, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Now, here's the part that we love when it comes to us, but when we think about other people, not so much. Not counting people's sins against them. I mean, isn't it true when it's us needing forgiveness, when it's us hoping that people will overlook our quirks and our flaws and our failures, the hurt that we've caused, the way we let them down maybe yet again, we desperately hope for that kind of forgiveness and reconciliation for us that people won't count our sins against us. But when we're the ones who have been frustrated or hurt or offended, not so excited about it, we're not as excited to offer the very same reconciliation that we want for ourselves and that we, if we're a follower of Jesus, have taken advantage of in Jesus Christ. God did not and does not count your sins against you. Before we ever did anything, He said, you're invited, just, just accept the invitation, I forgive you and I forgive you. But God, I've got all this junk, I know, I'll forgive you. And there's junk we don't even know until we've got reconciled. It's like, you knew about this and you still loved me? You still love me? You still accepted me? For years I was in the wrong and you didn't turn your back on me? And the key to understanding reconciliation, and this is where we get tripped up when it comes to family, the key is this phrase, in spite of. That God was reconciling the world to himself in spite of. But when it comes to us with others, this is our problem. Because the reason I don't want to be reconciled with you is because of. The reason I have such a hard time reconciling with you is because of. The reason I want to write you off and not have anything to do with you anymore is because of. But Paul won't let this go. He says, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. He's given us a mission. We are therefore, because of what God has done, Christ's ambassadors, a representative such that I am to be the best reflection of Christ to the people around me. That's the whole idea of being an ambassador, that I fully and faithfully represent someone. And in this case, Christ. He says, as though God were making his appeal through us. Now for most of you, when you became a Christian, no one explained this to you. If they had, you might have had second thoughts. Or if you're not a Christian, you may never become one now because of this. He's he's saying, because of what you have experienced, the process of reconciliation that God initiated in spite of you, he says you're to live that and carry that message everywhere you go, which means we have no real option but to offer reconciliation to the people we do not want to reconcile with. Because we are ambassadors of our Savior. See, for many of us, Here's what we ultimately communicate. You can be reconciled to God in spite of your sin, but you can't be reconciled to me because of your sin. In other words, I have standards that are higher than God's. So honey, you go ahead and be reconciled to God, but you're not going to be reconciled to me. You can be reconciled to God in spite of what you've done, but I'm not going to reconcile with you because of what you've done. Now, I get it. 
Some of you after this, you may right now be wanting me to pull, pull me off stage or you want to send me a message or an email later and go, okay, we need to talk. You can't just make a blanket statement like that. You, you need to hear my story. And you'd tell me your story. When you were finished, I would be so tempted to say, you're right. Forget it. I'm sorry you wasted your time. You should have got here early. You could have got donuts and gone home. All right, just forget this Bible part. I hate him too. I hate her. Let's just hate this person together. In fact, I want to right now go confront them and give them a beat down just because I feel so defensive on, on your behalf. So let's just forget everything I said. Everybody else has to be forgiven and be reconciled. You get a pass because that is the worst story I've ever heard. And even if you don't have a story like this, you've heard stories like you know people, you have people in your lives. Some of us have friends who have been through those stories. And the whole idea that I would suggest that you begin the process of forgiveness and reconciliation is insulting. It's offensive. And I know there are lots of uh, objections to this, and I know this again because I have personally lived this many times in my life. None of this is just book knowledge for me. So I know what Paul is describing is hard and maybe seems impossible. But I also know how important and how worth it this is. One objection is, listen, Chad, there are so many issues, so much hurt, so much pain, and to even like get into all that just sounds emotionally exhausting. And here's what I want you to understand. Reconciliation is not about tying up all the loose ends. Reconciliation is not about successfully getting another person to see things the way that you see them and apologize and own that they were wrong. Reconciliation isn't about justifying myself until you finally surrender and agree with me. Reconciliation is in spite of. It is that we're going to move forward with a relationship in spite of. And I, I know that you're thinking there's no way to move forward in this relationship in spite of. And as much as my defensiveness of you wants to agree, the reality is there is a way. And you're smart enough to figure it out. Maybe it will require help. Maybe it requires a counselor. But you can figure it out once you decide, I'm not making any more excuses. I'm just going to do it. And it may be something small, like sending a message. Like, hey, here's, here's a picture of your grandchild, your niece or your nephew. I know you haven't seen them in a while. I just wanted to keep you up to date as they're growing. Or, hey, so-and-so asked about you. I told them you're doing well, and I told them that I'd tell you hello. See, reconciliation is not about bringing up the past and admit that you were wrong. It's not about convicting or coercing or changing. It's all about in spite of. It's all about while we were yet sinners and going to sin, Christ died for you. That Christ did good to you and for you in spite of you. And then he calls us to do the same. I mean, when you became a Christian, it was not after, I know most of you, after you got all your flaws and failures worked out and straightened out, because some of you still got them, right? Me too. In fact, you didn't even know half of what you were doing was wrong until after you became a Christian, a Jesus follower, and still, hopefully, you're learning. A lot of the stuff you want to change about you, a lot of it you discovered after the fact. There's stuff about you, and there's stuff about me that should be changed right now, but we've not really fully realized it yet. And yet, God loves you, and He doesn't hold it against you. He loves you in spite of, and that is the ministry of reconciliation. The other objection is, okay, Chad, if, 
if I go over there, if I go over, if I show up, it's going to look like I'm condoning who they are, what they did, what they said. I'm condoning that relationship, or it looks like I'm condoning their behavior. And you know, my dad married, well, I won't use the word that my mom uses, but he married that woman. Or if I go over there and spend time with them or try to reconcile with my dad, it's going to send a bad message to my mom or my brothers and my sisters. It's going to look like I'm condoning them. Or you know, my mom, mom, she moved in with that guy. If I go and hang out with them or invite them over for Christmas, it's going to look like I'm condoning the relationship. If I go and hang out with my sibling, it's going to look like I'm condoning their lifestyle. Listen, If anyone ever accuses you of condoning a lifestyle because you are trying to reconcile, congratulations, you are more like Jesus than you ever realized. Because they accuse Jesus of that all the time. But more often than not, what we're really doing, and I get this, is we're hiding. We're hiding behind an excuse because the truth is, initiating reconciliation is uncomfortable. So our best defense is, you know, I don't want to hurt other family members. I, the deeper, t- I don't want to look like I'm condoning. Or I will say, I don't want to hurt other family members, but the deeper truth is, I don't want to look like I'm condoning something I don't condone. The problem is, it's a lame excuse. See, God sent Jesus, His Son, into the world not to condone what we were doing, but to both live in stark contrast and at the same time let us know that there is a God who loves us. I mean, who did he spend all of his time with? People who were in opposition or in the wrong with God. God with us. So yes, some people are going to think that you're condoning it, but you're not. You're being an ambassador. You're doing the uncomfortable thing. You're reconciling in spite of, not because of. And I know our other excuse is, because I've heard it, I've said it, it's not going to work. They're never going to change. Let me ask you, who did Jesus die for? All. It wasn't that for God so loved the world, for God so loved all the future Christians, that he gave his one and only son. No, God sent his son into the world knowing that many would not believe or offer or respond to the offer of reconciliation. It, It may not work. It may not work, but let me make you a promise. If you decide to be a Christ follower, and I'm not going to make excuses anymore, and make the painful decision to slowly begin to set the table, to open the door and extend the invitation, it may not work, but God will work in you. In fact, that may become the epicenter of God's activity in your life. God will get more done through your meager efforts and your willingness to move in their direction than anything else that's going on in your life right now. And as some of you listen to this, you're so uncomfortable because a family member has been saying to you or has said recently, hey, you need to call. You need to call dad. You need to call mom. Your wife has said, hey, you need to call your brother or call your sister. Like, no, I don't care. I don't care. And you say, I don't care so loud. It's like maybe you do. It's like you're bugging me. Just leave me alone. It's my sister. It's my brother, my mother, my dad. It's my family. Just leave me alone. I don't care. Then why did you say it so loud? Because we are hardwired and created to care. And the healthiest thing you could do for you in your current relationships and your current family is to just say, I don't want to care, but I do. So uh, let me just ask, who is the person? Who is the person that you're tempted to say, I just don't care? 
It's not worth it. And if you're a Christian, would you be willing to at least take a baby step toward doing for them what your Heavenly Father did for you? Not because you deserved it, in spite of. Because Christ's love compels us to do it and then left us no good option. So I'd, I'd like to invite the band up. Don't get distracted by them because you need to hear what I'm about to say. My, my temptation was to stand up here this morning and go, okay, here are three things you can do and here are some suggestions, but I don't need to. Again, you're, you're, you're smart enough, especially with the help of mentors or counselors, but you're smart enough to know what the first step is. The problem is deciding to take it. So I want to give us all the same first step. In just a minute, as we close the service, not right now, in a minute, I'm going to ask any of you who, while I've been talking, you know. You know who I'm talking about in your life. You know exactly who I'm talking about in your life. In just a minute, I'm just going to ask you that if you're a person who has at least one of these people and one of these situations in your life like we've been talking about, and you know you need to take a step towards what I've talked about today, I'm just going to ask you to stand, not right now. But here's why. Because that will be your first step. And if you're at home watching us online, I know it's going to sound weird, but I will encourage you to get off your chair or your couch and do the same thing. And here's why. Because when this message is over, nothing in your life will have changed. When this message is over, you're going to go back to the same environment, the same relationships, the same emotions, the same resistance, the same sad soundtrack is going to be playing in the background with all those pictures and images of rejection and fear and frustration and angst. It's all still going to be there. And there's not going to be anything in you or around you to compel you to take this step that you know that the God who loves you wants you to take. So I'm just going to ask you to do something simple, to go public with a group of people to say, this is my first step towards doing what I know God wants me to do. And I'm not suggesting that anyone would ever move back into a dangerous or an abusive relationship. Hopefully a counselor has set boundaries. I'm talking to those of you who know, you know you've been hiding behind excuses and the truth is you're mad. You're angry. You've tried not to care. But you're hardwired and created to care. And, and then when you stand, we're going to cheer for you. And maybe just one person. And if you're on the front row, you're already nervous. Like, what if I'm the only one? Don't look over your shoulder. Okay, just, it doesn't matter if there's only one. And if you're at home, you're going to feel stupid. It's okay. But this is just your way of saying, I'm willing to do the uncomfortable, bold step and take it. I don't want to spend another season of my life withholding from him or from her what God so generously gave to me in spite of me. And in spite of the fact that it may never work out, in spite of the fact they may never see things from your point of view, I'm going to do this because this is what I was created to do and it's what my Savior has called me to do. So if there's, you know there's someone in your family that you need to begin or restart the forgiveness and re re reconciliation process with, I just want you to stand right now. This is your first step. I'm so proud of you. And it's incredible.
And I'd like to ask the rest of you to stand right now because the band is going to lead us in a fantastic song called Holy Water. One of the recurring lines is, Your forgiveness is like sweet, sweet honey on my lips, like a sound of a symphony in my ears, like holy water on my skin. I don't want to abuse your grace, God. God, I need it every day. It's the only thing that ever really makes me want to change. And that's what this whole message has been about. That forgiveness, the forgiveness and reconciliation offered to us by God in spite of is what motivates us. Let me pray for you. Father, uh, I just thank you for those that had the courage to stand. And Father, I also pray for the processors that they need a minute and a moment to, to work through this. And I pray for each of them that you will give them wise intuition about whatever it is that their next step is to move in the direction that reflects the direction you moved in towards us when we didn't deserve it. And Father, I pray that you would bring healing and restoration that just couldn't even be imagined. I pray that you would bring restoration. And where there isn't restoration of relationship, Father, I pray that you would do healing work in the individuals. And Father, I pray for those of us that are raising the next generation. Father, we're a mess. And we, we need you. We need your wisdom as parents, as mothers, as fathers, as grandparents. Because we are having an effect on the next generation. God, we, we don't want to wound them. We don't want to hurt them. But Father, we need your help and we need one another. We need community like this to encourage and support one another. I pray for the next generation that you guard them. That's in the next room. Guards their, guard their hearts and minds. And Father, I pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.